Hi everyone. I wanted to make a quick announcement before getting into today's episode. I started putting this episode together at our march on Capitol Hill earlier this month. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, as most people across the country are now at home dealing with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. At the end of this episode, I'll spend a couple of minutes sharing information on resources the TS Alliance has already put together to provide you support during this time. Even though we're all working at home, everyone at the TS Alliance is still committed to our mission of finding a cure for tuberous sclerosis complex while improving the lives of those affected. And if at any point you need any help, please don't hesitate to contact us at 800-225-6872. I'd also encourage you to sign up for emails from the TS Alliance so you can keep up to date with everything that's going on. Finally, you can find all of our updates on COVID-19 at tsalliance.org slash COVID-19. And now... Here's the March episode of TSC Now. This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the March episode of TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. This month, we are recapping our March on Capitol Hill, which brought together more than 100 volunteers from across the country earlier this month to advocate for funding for the Tuberous Sclerosis Complex Research Program at the Department of Defense. First, I spoke to Mark Veith, Senior Vice President at Cavaracci Ruscio Dennis Associates, who has been serving as a consultant for the TS Alliance's advocacy efforts and helps prepare our volunteers for their meetings with their representatives. Here's my conversation with Mark. We're now joined by Mark Veith, Senior Vice President at CRD Associates. Mark, thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a it's an honor and a pleasure. So we're here at the March on Capitol Hill, and I thought you could start by just telling us sort of what your role is in facilitating this effort. Absolutely. Well, let me just first say that the true champions of this effort are the advocates that come from across the country. They're the ones that really do the the real work here and really let their passion shine through. My job is to try to help best harness that passion and try to organize what can be a somewhat chaotic process. So one of the first things that, that I do is a training session, which I'll be doing tonight, the night before the March on the Hill, where I give folks uh, a sense of comfort uh, to what they're doing, because this can be intimidating, particularly to people who've never done this before. So I walk them through the process. We try to educate them a little bit about how the Senate and the House can be different and how they approach this request and, you know, give folks tips on what they should be doing during their meetings and what they shouldn't be doing as well. And probably the most important thing is logistics. Getting from one meeting to another is sometimes the most challenging part. The easy part is when you're actually sitting down and talking to the member of Congress or staffer. So as you mentioned, this is a very chaotic week. We have over 100 volunteers coming from across the country. What goes into getting ready for this meeting? What happens prior to the meeting in terms of drafting a Dear Colleague letter and finding a sponsor? And then what happens after the meeting, after all our advocates go home? Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, several months before the March on the Hill, I work with the Alliance staff to help identify who our champions are going to be. Typically, we have a Democrat and Republican in the House and a Democrat and Republican in the Senate. 
to circulate these dear colleague letters. And as we've seen over the years, our champions often choose to go to another job or retire from Congress. Sometimes they're even defeated in their reelection bids. So it seems like every year we're, we're recruiting a new champion to do this effort. And this year, in fact, we recruited a new senator, Senator Kramer from North Dakota, to be our lead. Not a lot of work is required to do the actual content of the Dear Colleague because it's been written and revised over the years, but we try to adapt it to what the current climate is. And then, you know, the real hard preparation happens starting in January. First of all, it's pretty amazing that all the advocates schedule their own meetings. That, that is not true with a lot of organizations. They often rely on professional help for that. But these folks do a great job of scheduling their own meetings and the staff help to choreograph all this and make sure that there's not duplication in the meetings and that we have the right people attending the right meetings. And so we have our volunteers go on the Hill prepared with that information. They meet with a staffer or hopefully with their representative directly and they talk about why TSC research is important to them. After those meetings, what's important in terms of follow-up to make sure that they continue to stay engaged with their representative and get them on board to signing that Dear Colleague letter? Well, follow-up is absolutely critical, Dan. You know, you can't just come in once a year and expect to get the result that you're asking for. What you have to remember is this time of year, there are hundreds of organizations that are up on Capitol Hill making very similar requests to their members of Congress. So a staffer on a day like tomorrow may have 12, 13, 14 meetings just like this, and they're not going to remember all the details of that meeting. So it's really important for our advocates after the meeting to follow up a week later or two weeks later, ask them if their boss has agreed to sign on to the Dear Colleague, and if not, what other things can they do to, to help our cause? So that's critical. And really, even throughout the year, if there's an opportunity to invite the congressman to an event back in their home district, uh, our advocates do that as well. You want to foster a relationship that's going to be over the long term because we're, we're going to be at this for many, many years. Yeah, I think something that I've seen is, you know, these people that come year after year tend to build a relationship with their representative to the point where they come in with their blue jackets and they're suddenly recognizable. And it's like, oh, yes, I remember we talked last year. And it's really cool to see how those relationships form over time. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been situations where some of our advocates have come in and they've met with their member of Congress who, you know, may not sign on to these kinds of letters or any kind of letters for disease specific requests. And what often happens is they'll say no the first year, they'll say no the second year, the third year is a maybe, and then it's a no. And then the fourth year, all of a sudden it's a yes. And it's because of the the perseverance of that advocate. And also, you know, another great great example is I mentioned earlier that we were able to recruit Senator Kramer from North Dakota. That wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for our advocate back in North Dakota developing that relationship over the course of, I think, at least five years went back when he was in the House. And I don't think he would have said yes to our request if it weren't for that longstanding relationship that she's had with their office. So you mentioned one of your first responsibilities is training dinner tonight to help prepare our advocates for their meetings tomorrow. What goes into that training dinner? Yeah, I mean, First of all, we try to explain what the request is. This year, in fact, there's a little bit of a nuance because the House Dear Colleague letter is asking for a specific funding level of $8 million. So we explain to our advocates, you know, what our requests are, what may be different this year than in previous years. We also try to emphasize that the most important thing they can do is tell their personal story. Our advocates are not expected to be experts on the very arcane legislative process and budget appropriations process that 
goes into these requests. Where their expertise is and where it shines through is how they live with TSC, what their daily experience is with the disorder, with their kids, with their families. So we emphasize that. We also try to, you know, give them an understanding of what the political environment is that they're operating in. And that changes every year. For example, we would not have known last year at this time that our nation would be dealing with a possible pandemic with the coronavirus. It is going to be a major topic of discussion tomorrow in all these offices. Plus, you know, we have uh, every four years, of course, we have a presidential year and that sort of sets the frame. And then we do a role playing exercise where we have a couple of our volunteers, you know, serve as an elected official, a staffer and an advocate. And they walk through what a really bad meeting looks like. And then we do what a really good meeting looks like to show people the difference. And again, going through the logistics is really important, emphasizing that you need to get to the buildings early because of the long security lines this time of year is, is incredibly important. If you were to distill the training down to a couple of key messages and tips, what would those be? The key message is that this research has proven to be effective over time. The the tuber sclerosis complex research program at DOD has had major research dividends that have improved the quality of life of our patients and family members. And it's really important to emphasize that point and how important it is to us personally. When you look through these appropriations bills, all you see are lines and numbers, and we need to tell a story behind that line item for the TSCRP. So that's really what I try to emphasize, talking about your personal story, your personal experience, and how that ties into this request for $8 million. Clearly sharing these stories over the last couple of years has been extremely effective. Since 2002, $89 million has been appropriated through the TSCRP, starting from you know, a million dollars, which came about as a relationship that a grandfather had with his representative. What do you think has made this effort so successful? I just think it's the perseverance of the advocates. I mean, they really are incredible people. And the fact that they just keep coming back every year and we keep getting new people. I mean, that's a, another thing that really kind of blows me away in all the years that I've been doing this is all the new people that come and learn very quickly how to do this very effectively. We are really kind of the model organization for rare disease disease groups. And it's really been enjoyable to watch this level of success. Well, we thank you for the role you play in the success of this and, you know, continuing to be a champion and preparing our advocates for their time on the Hill. And thank you for talking to me today. Well, thank you, Dan. It's a real pleasure. And I'm looking forward to keep doing this for a long time. Thanks again to Mark Veith for sharing his advocacy expertise and for all the work he does behind the scenes to help ensure the success of the TSCRP. Next, I spoke to Bridget Britt, an advocate and mom from California, who shares with me why she advocates and how coming to March on Capitol Hill gives her strength and purpose. Here's my conversation with Bridget. So why don't you start by telling me your name, where you're coming from, and how many years you've come to March on Capitol Hill. My name is Bridget Britt. I'm coming from Northern California, and this is my third year coming to March on Capitol Hill. And so how many meetings have you had over the last week? I had about seven meetings and a couple of drop-offs and uh, looking forward to following up with each of the people to make sure that they sign. How did those meetings go generally? We're very lucky in California. They're pretty willing to sign the letters. There's a few that have concerns. And so we just try to let them know what the program is about, dispel any potential myths that they might have about what the bill is trying to do, particularly since it's an appropriations bill. 
and just educate them about the disease in general so that we feel even if they might not sign that they're further educated about the disease. And were there any common questions or feedback you got from staffers? I think generally this year, everyone was pretty excited and fortunately familiar with our cause because we've advocated so well. They were eager to learn and eager to see what was ahead, to see what the program was able to do and what we can show and to say that there really is hope coming down the pike. And that's always a nice message to deliver to people. You mentioned that this was your third year doing March on the Hill. What keeps bringing you back year after year? This, knowing that what you have so little control in this disease. And this is one of the things I can say I can do that makes a big difference. And that fuels me when days are harder or I'm tired and I don't know what else to do. Knowing that I can come out here and make a difference in this disease carries me through some of those hard times and knowing that your voice does make a difference. And then also being able to learn and collaborate with others also helps. Can you briefly tell me about your connection to TSC? My daughter, Molly, who's now seven, was diagnosed with TSC at the age of three months. And she's had two resection surgeries. We're experiencing the thrusts of TAND and all of its manifestations and navigating that part of the journey, which I actually find is harder <laughs> than the seizure part, and also enjoying the successes that we've been able to see and feeling grateful that she is where she is in the diagnosis, that she was able to get treatment right away and be as successful as she is. Very grateful. So now I feel like it's my turn to pay it forward and make a difference. And finally, you talked a little bit about how this is an opportunity to feel some sense of control, to give back. What are you ultimately hoping to accomplish through your efforts here and through the efforts of all of the advocates who come to March on the Hill? A, to educate people about the disease. B, to secure that research funding, because I really wholeheartedly know the value of the research that's being done and wanting to maximize that opportunity and further advance the cause and care for TSC and to connect with others and to benefit from those who set the trail before us, to thank them, and then to further that trail to make it easier for others. Some of the research my daughter might not benefit from, but if it can help others not have to experience what we did, it's worth it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking time this week to advocate and thank you for the sacrifices that you've made, not only for your daughter, but for newly diagnosed families. And it is making a difference. And this research is moving us closer to newer treatments and hopefully a cure. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Bridget, for sharing your story and for beautifully capturing how important this effort is and how the research funded through this program is really making a difference for families. Finally, I spoke to Sam Barth, a graduate student working in Kim Rob Graham's lab at Wake Forest University Medical School. Sam shares how March on Capitol Hill provides meaningful context for the work he does in the lab, and also discusses how the funding his mentor, Kim, received through the TSCRP helped generate new insights on TSC and how she has continued to build off of that original project. Here's my conversation with Sam. 
So why don't we start by you introducing yourself? What's your name? Where are you from? And how many times have you been on March on Capitol Hill? Sure. So my name is Sam Barth. I grew up as a military brat. So I lived in multiple states, but the longest place I ever lived was right outside of DC in Northern Virginia. And this past March on the Hill event was my second time doing it. So what's your connection to tuberous sclerosis complex? Yeah, so good question. My my connection only began when I joined my mentor's lab, Dr. Kimberly Rob Graham. When I was first rotating in her lab, one of her postdocs was presenting on tuberous sclerosis complex during a lab meeting, and it never even occurred to me what this rare genetic disorder was. And then, and since joining Kim's lab, we've been able to utilize it as a model to study other neurological disorders, but then also to understand the severity of the disorder in itself. So you mentioned that, you know, when you came to March on the Hill this year, it was your second time coming. How many meetings did you go to? So I have had the privilege to have a fantastic mentor Dr. Mary Ann Lamb. She is a, a grandmother of a child with TS, and she has been able to uh, be fantastic in scheduling. And so right now, I'm a graduate student at Wake Forest School of Medicine, and Mary Ann scheduled a uh, appointments with all 13 representatives of North Carolina representatives and then both senators. So uh, on that, the Wednesday of this year, it was a busy day as we went to a total of 15 meetings. Wow, that's really a full schedule. How did those meetings go generally? Generally, they go pretty well. I think we've been able to kind of establish some rapport with the staffers. And if we're lucky and be able to catch a representative, then we kind of give them our brief spiel in as short a time as we can. But in those staffers that recognize us, they're really positive. And the ones that don't know us that are there for the first time, they're really impressed by the TS Alliance and how motivated everyone is and also how passionate everyone is to helping find a cure. So I would say the meetings, they go really well and we get nothing but positive feedback during those meetings, but usually it kind of depends upon the policy of the representative or the senator's office, whether or not they will support the tuberosclerosis complex research program by signing the Dear Colleague letter. And when you're in those meetings, what sort of common questions do you get? What sort of misconceptions are there about this funding? One of the biggest misconceptions that we get is how does this differ from NIH funding? And first, from joining Kim's lab, I really wasn't sure and be able to go to the Hill. I was able to learn that from Dr. Steve Roberts, being it when he would describe that the TSCRP really prioritizes high-risk, high-reward research. And that's actually how my mentor, Kim, Dr. Rob Graham, was able to get pilot funding and that she kind of had this radical idea at the time. And by gaining funding through the TSCRP, she was able to kind of launch her research into tuberosclerosis. Whereas NIH funding really requires you to have a lot of preliminary data, almost already knowing what research or the, how the results are going to turn out. So one of the, the largest research grants that you can get in at, at the NIH is called an RO1. And the experiments are usually very long and tedious and it all 
a lot of the data has already been gathered. So through early career researchers, it was very beneficial for her to first get a grant from the TSCRP because it is so incredibly competitive at the NIH. So that's probably the biggest misconception we get about how is this different from NIH funding and why is the TSCRP being funded through the Department of Defense, the DOD. And then another question that we get a lot is the the incidence rate. So how many people are born with tuberosclerosis? So are there familial mutations or are there spontaneous mutations? And so I'll then, of course, be able to tell them that one in 6,000 children are born with TS and one third of those cases are inherited, whereas two thirds are So you mentioned that you work in a lab that has actually received funding from the TSCRP. What did that funding allow your mentor to do in terms of research? So that funding was before my time, before I joined Kim's lab. And if I'm correct, she received that funding in 2013. And a proposition of her grant was to look at molecular mechanisms of learning and memory in epilepsy as well as depression and being able to utilize TSC as a model to be able to investigate both of those. How has she built on that research since then? So uh, there are many directions in our lab, and uh, Kim has been able to uh, really understand uh, the molecular mechanism associated with rapid antidepressants. So uh, in uh, research, or um, it's kind of really big right now how there was recently a nasal spray called S-ketamine. And uh, she was helpful in uh, understanding the mechanism by how ketamine is able to rapidly induce this antidepressant-like effect. We've also, so one of the postdocs was able to kind of do this uh, high-throughput data analysis to understand what proteins are affected with mTOR inhibition. So mTOR is the downstream signaling target of TSC1 and 2 complex. And by inhibiting it with uh, a drug called rapamycin, we were able to look at two populations of proteins some that go up and some that go down. And that study really helped lead into numerous other research projects to be able to understand how mTOR inhibition promotes a protein synthesis. And that that ties into one of the the main themes of our lab. So this was your second time participating in March on Capitol Hill. What motivated you to come back this year and to be a part of this effort again? So in a research setting, I primarily interact with mice. And I work at the bench. I move a a small amount of a clear liquid from one tube to another tube. And so what I do on a daily basis is really routine and perfunctory. But being able to go to uh, the March on the Hill is really refreshing because uh, the the minutiae that I get caught up in as a graduate student in how am I going to execute this experiment? What are the best controls to include? You sometimes forget why you're doing this research. And by going to March on the Hill, you're really able to to see the faces of TS, those that have to deal with it every single day of their life, also realizing how motivated they are. So really, it's, it's quite a privilege to be able to go. And it's really refreshing, and but also exciting because I've been able to start becoming a part of this TS community and be able to get to know families that are affected by TS. That's absolutely why I went back to March on the Hill the second time and hopefully will continue to go in the future. 
And so finally, what are you hoping to accomplish through your advocacy this year? One of the biggest things, every single time I present at Wake Forest or I talk to a family member or I even go to the Hill and I'm talking with a staffer or, or even a representative, most times people don't even know what tuberculosis complex is. So I think the first thing that we have to do, and the TS Alliance has already done an exceptional job at this, is but is to really bring tuberculosis out of darkness and really uh, advocate awareness for it. Because uh, even when most physicians hear about it, they're not even quite sure of the disorder. So being able to uh, bring greater awareness to the disorder is probably the, the first thing. And then uh, the second thing that I'm most interested in is understanding the link between epilepsy and autism and how early life seizures can possibly lead to an autistic like phenotype from development. Well, we appreciate, you know, your commitment to research and the work you've done so far and your continuing support of this effort. Thank you so much for coming to March on the Hill this year. And thank you for agreeing to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. It was, it was a pleasure being able to talk with you. My thanks again to Sam for providing a researcher's perspective on the march on Capitol Hill and for taking an interest in TSC early in his career. Because of the hard work of our dedicated advocates, 35 senators signed on to the Dear Colleague Letter this year, along with 216 representatives in the House. Furthermore, our volunteers advocated for an $8 million appropriation this year, a $2 million increase from prior years. And because of their continued hard work, the TSCRP has allocated $89 million to TSC research since 2002. If you are interested in learning more about the TSCRP and our government advocacy efforts, check out the links in the show description. And if you want to be involved in our government advocacy efforts in the future, send an email to grc at tsalliance.org. Before the start of the episode, I said that a lot has changed in the few weeks since March on Capitol Hill, including the entire TS Alliance staff shifting to working remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic. I want you all to know that everyone on staff is just as committed to our mission of moving research forward and providing support to those affected by TSC, especially during these stressful times. We have created an FAQ for parents and caregivers on COVID-19, as well as a resource for physicians, which can be found at tsalliance.org slash COVID-19. And that link will also be in the show description. We are also hosting webinars every Monday and Friday with experts on topics like educating your children at home and coping with stress and anxiety. A schedule of upcoming webinars and recordings of previous webinars can be found at tsalliance.org slash COVID-19. If there are topics you'd like to know about, let us know. You can send me an email at decline at tsalliance.org. That's D-K-L-E-I-N at tsalliance.org. We are also working with our incredible partners to put on virtual town halls. This month, we hosted a town hall in partnership with the Lamb Foundation and brought together four expert physicians on TSC and Lamb to share their recommendations. On April 10th, we are partnering with the Child Neurology Foundation and the Dupe 15Q Alliance on a town hall titled Accessibility to Care During COVID-19. Be on the lookout for more information on how to register for this town hall. 
We also are hosting weekly open forums on Wednesdays. These forums are open to everyone and are meant to be a place to discuss coping with the pandemic and any other issues you'd like to address. We will share information soon on how to register for an upcoming open forum. Finally, if you need any kind of support, please give us a call at 800-225-6872. We are here for you and we will get through this together TSC Strong. In next month's episode, I'll be diving deeper into how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the TSC community, and I want to hear from you. Leave me a voicemail at 240-638-4644. Again, that's 240-638-4644. Tell me how you are coping. Tell me how this has affected you, and let me know what you're doing to keep from going stir-crazy. I'll play some of these voicemails throughout the next episode. And as always, you can send me an email about the podcast to tscnow at tsalliance.org. I'd like to end this episode with a little levity. As part of my ongoing Get to Know the TS Alliance segment, I spoke to Justin Martucci, Development Services Manager. We discussed his job, his hobbies outside of work, and how he is passing the extended time at home. Here's my conversation with Justin. All right, we're now joined by Justin Martucci. Justin, thanks for being on TSC Now with me. Oh, thanks for having me. So why don't we start by you sharing your role at the TS Alliance and how long you've been there? The title now is Development Systems Manager. So I am in charge of managing our donor database as well as our all of our online fundraising platforms and kind of playing as the bridge between our fundraising department and our finance department. And so as part of that role, you've really led the charge since you've joined the team to really clean up our constituent database. And on top of that, at the beginning of the year, the whole organization moved to a new email platform and a new online fundraising platform. Where do those projects stand today? Cleaning up the database, when I started, we had tens of thousands of duplicate constituent profiles in our database, and I've managed to clean those up. So we still have a few, but we're down to about 1.2% of our full database. Uh, we have over, I believe right now, 150,000 constituents in our database. So 1% is a much smaller number than when I started with. On top of that, with our new platforms with with fundraising and email, it's been important to make sure that they're all connected and talking to each other so that since we have these new platforms that we're off on the right foot. Since we've been up and running, I think, you know, there's always going to be a few bugs to get worked out, but I I believe we're pretty good. And and I I like the new platforms, the old system, we had everything kind of under one roof. So it in theory did everything, but it didn't do everything as well. Now we've got everything kind of split up to platforms that specialize in it. And I think they, by and large, are easier to use and and definitely more attractive on the front end for folks who actually have to interface with it in their day-to-day when they make donations or or create their own pages or receive emails from us. Yeah, I'll say that just being on the email side of our new platform, it's definitely more user-friendly. And what's really great is it doesn't send duplicate emails, which has been a problem in the past that we've heard from our community. And so it's really nice to send an email and know that it's not going to hit the same email address more than once. So your job is very technical. You 
deal with a lot of spreadsheets, CSV <laughs> files, a lot of importing and exporting. But what's your favorite part of your job? So I think my favorite part is understanding and utilizing the, the data and, and how we have it structured to help our team create effective and, and efficient fundraising strategies. I enjoy having the support role. I like to think of myself as the grease that gets the gears moving. And even though you are a support role and often work behind the scenes, our team is very collaborative and you also get to contribute across the organization and get in front of the community too, including during the 2018 World Conference, which was really your first introduction to the community at large. What was that experience like? <laughs> it was an experience. You know, I got down on the ground and there there really wasn't anything else to do but kind of jump in hands first. It was it was pretty amazing seeing everybody together and, and being in the thick of things, getting to know folks a little bit in person as opposed to, you know, just the little boxes of text in the database, seeing the actual faces to the names that I deal with every day and hearing their stories. You know, it was extraordinary and it was a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah, and I know the the teens who were in the teen room really appreciated you advocating for them and getting them that couch. <laughs> it was a it was a bit of a bare room to start with. And, you know, I, I think by the end of that first day, everyone agreed that couch was much needed. So when you're not working to keep our data squeaky clean, what sort of things do you enjoy doing outside of your work at the TS Alliance? Outside? I mean, I like to try to avoid sitting down at a desk as much since I, I do that nine to five. I'm a avid uh, home brewer, just bottled a batch of beer this weekend, probably going to brew another one coming up. I like to cook and get into more uh, creative endeavors, I like to work in uh, photography, do a little painting from here to there and just get outside and do some hiking. Now that we've started working from home this week, what are you doing to pass the time in this extended work from home period? I'm always getting the, the dog out to take a walk. I think we're driving the cats insane though. They're not used to us having being around as much. And uh, I've been playing a lot of civilization. Well, I'm glad you're hanging in there and thank you for all you do for the organization and thank you again for jumping on to talk to me today. Sure, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this month's TSC Now. I hope you all are staying safe and healthy and I'll see you in April with a new episode. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tsalliance.org slash tscnow. Thanks for listening.